The Hebrew word shalom is probably familiar to you. It's a common greeting in Hebrew. It literally means peace, but its meaning goes far beyond a hippie platitude of world peace. The root word of shalom is shalom, and it's used 14 times in Exodus 21 and 22. In those chapters, Moses outlined the law regarding what happens if someone's property is damaged or stolen. The word he uses over and over in Hebrew is shalom, and it's translated to make it good or shall surely pay or make full restitution or to restore. So the meaning behind shalom and its derivative shalom is to make something whole. So when you say shalom to someone, you're actually pronouncing a blessing over them. You're saying, may you be whole body, mind, and soul. Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. If you're new to this podcast, I spent 39 years in various Protestant circles. I was a Baptist slash evangelical pastor for 11 years. I co-founded a ministry called Christianity is Jewish. And at the age of 41, I came home to the Catholic Church. Since episode three, well, minus interviews and some exposés on feast days and saints, we've been focusing on the sacramental worldview of the Catholic faith. The church has defined a sacrament as an outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace. As a review, the word sacrament has a Greek and Latin derivative. In Greek, sacrament comes from the word mysterium, which means mystery. In Latin, its etymology is sacramentum, which means a sacred oath. Hence, in every sacrament, we see a sacred oath and a mystery. Another way of thinking about this is that in every sacrament, there's an oath or a step of faith that we do, but the meat and the potatoes of the sacrament is the mystery that God performs the grace that he gives. The Catholic Church maintains that there are seven sacraments which can be divided into three categories. The sacraments of initiation include baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist. Sacraments of healing include reconciliation and anointing of the sick. And sacraments of service include marriage and holy orders. In this episode, we're going to focus on the sacrament of anointing the sick. And just like all the other episodes on the sacraments, we're going to begin by talking about the Jewish roots of the practice, and then we'll dive into the meaning of healing, and we'll talk about the anointing with oil. We see this practice of anointing the sick mandated in James 5, 14 through 15, which states, quote, Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven, end quote. The first thing to realize about the Jewish practice of healing the sick is that the Jewish people saw a connection between physical and spiritual health. When Israel sinned, God sometimes punished them with disease. We see this in 2 Samuel 24, where David's sin led to a three-day pestilence that killed 70,000 people. We see God's use of plagues in judgment of other nations as well, such as the Egyptians just before the Exodus, or the Philistines when they captured the Ark of the Covenant. Even St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 29-30 associates the sin of abusing the Lord's Supper with getting sick and even dying. In John 9, we read about a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. They saw a man who had been blind since birth, and they asked, quote, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? End quote. Now, that may seem like a silly question in today's day and age. We typically don't associate infirmities with sin. It seems pretty insensitive and perhaps egregious to look at someone who's in a wheelchair or maybe a child with autism and suggest that the reason for their suffering is someone's sin. That's just not really how we think about these things today. But for the Jewish people of antiquity, this is how they thought. 
So the disciples were asking a very natural question for their day and age, and who better to ask than Jesus? Jesus' answer, however, probably surprised them. He told his disciples, quote, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him, end quote. This was a really important clarification that Jesus gave. He rejects the notion that sin and sickness are always connected. But at the same time, I think we would be mistaken to think that there is never a link between our physical and spiritual health. In Mark 2, we read about a group of people trying to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. However, because of the crowds, they were unable. So instead, they dug a hole in the roof and lowered their friend through that hole. Talk about determination. So when Jesus saw their determination and their faith, he said, quote, Son, your sins are forgiven, end quote. Notice he didn't say, get up and walk, or I heal you of your infirmity. He first forgave the man's sins. Of course, that puzzled everyone and created lots of controversy. So Jesus asked this question, quote, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk, end quote. Wow, what an interesting question. Jesus is almost suggesting that forgiving sin is more challenging than healing someone who's paralyzed. We probably don't think about it that way, do we? If I've sinned, I go to confession. I'm healed. If I were to get into an accident and become paralyzed, I'd be in for years of hospitalization, surgeries, medication, rehab, with no guarantee of walking again. Perhaps the point that Jesus was making is that sin is far graver than any physical sickness. Take, for instance, his words in Matthew 5.30, quote, If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell, end quote. In the case of the paralytic, unlike the man born blind, it appears that maybe his infirmity was associated with some sort of sin. Maybe he just lived a sinful life. But what Jesus does is he heals him completely, soul and body. He forgives him of his sin and then tells him to get up and take his mat and go. One of the central Jewish prayers for healing is called the Mishabarach. In English, the words are this, quote, May the one who blessed our ancestors, patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, matriarchs Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, bless and heal the one who is ill. Then you say the person's name and say son or daughter of the parent's name, and you continue, may the holy blessed one overflow with compassion upon him or her to restore him or her, to heal, to strengthen, to enliven. The one will send him or her speedily a complete healing, healing of the soul and healing of the body, along with all the ill among the people of Israel and all humankind, soon speedily, without delay, and let us all say, Amen. End quote. Here's what it sounds like in Hebrew. Hakadosh Baruchu Yimale Rachamim Alehem, Lehachazikam Ulra Potam, Vishlach Lehem Meherarufuashelema Lechol Evarehem Begidehem Betokshe Arachole Israel, Refuata Nefesh Urfuata Guf, Venomar Amen. Notice what it says about the type of healing they petition God for. Quote, complete healing, healing of the soul, and healing of the body, end quote. What the Bible teaches us is that sometimes sin is associated with sickness, sometimes it is not. Regardless, healing should be comprehensive. We shouldn't merely focus on the physical healing or the spiritual healing. 
Really, healing is all-encompassing, our souls and our bodies. So many times we disassociate one type of healing from another when really we should see the entire body as interconnected. I know for me that physical and spiritual exercises go hand in hand. When I'm not in a good place spiritually, I tend to neglect exercising and my mental health also suffers. The Greek physician Hippocrates, who lived between 460 and 377 BC and is considered the father of modern medicine, wrote, quote, a perfumed bath and a scented massage every day is the way to a good health, end quote. He understood what we might refer to now as natural remedies as an essential part of medicine and health. He wrote, quote, above all, the purpose of a doctor is to awaken the natural healing energies within the body, end quote. The point I'm making is that healing is really more than just a physical cure. And if you look at James 5, 15, and 16 closely, you'll notice something. Let me quote it again. Quote, Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. End quote. Notice it doesn't say that they will be cured of their physical infirmity. It says they will be saved and raised up. This brings us to an important understanding of the Catholic view of salvation, which we will talk about in greater detail in a future episode. Unlike some Protestant sects that talk about getting saved as a moment in time, Catholics view salvation as a process. We are moving towards eternal life. Every sacrament moves us towards eternal life. It restores us body and soul. It is a shalom in our life. When we participate in the sacrament of reconciliation or confession, it is moving towards eternal life. Like the prodigal son, we are turning away from wallowing in sin and moving towards the kingdom of God, which is our inheritance. The same is true with the sacrament of anointing of the sick. It isn't just a prayer for physical health. It is a movement towards eternal life. We see this especially when the anointing of the sick is used in the context of someone's last rites. When someone is on their deathbed, the anointing of the sick is often accompanied with confession as well as the Eucharist. They are moving quite immediately towards eternal life. Thus, the sacrament of anointing the sick is only given to Catholics. And the reason isn't because Catholics don't want non-Catholics to be healed, but because it is part of that movement towards eternal life that we receive in the sacraments. And those sacraments always begin with the sacraments of initiation, which are baptism and confirmation. Now, with that being said, if a non-Catholic were to ask a priest for anointing of the sick, the priest could do two things. One is offer a blessing. Secondly, he would ask, do you want to become Catholic? And there's a speedy version of the sacrament that includes baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, and the anointing of the sick all in one fell swoop. If we look in scripture, we see Jesus do the same thing. Before he healed someone, he often asked them, do you want to be made well? Why? Isn't that a silly question? But think about it. Jesus' healing was complete. It changed their life. They would no longer be identified as the paralytic or the blind man. They would need to find an occupation other than begging. More importantly, their eyes would be open to the truth of who Jesus was, and it would take them to a whole new place in life. And so it seems appropriate that Jesus would first ask for their consent. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to move towards eternal life, even if it means leaving everything you know behind you? It is the same with the sacrament of anointing the sick. Now, what do we make of the oil that James talks about? 
I think there's two things. First, oil, particularly olive oil, in the ancient Jewish world was used for a variety of ceremonial and medicinal purposes. I think one valid interpretation could be that the elders with prayer were to join the medical community in restoring someone's health. A lot of people read this passage and think that by using modern medicine, they are undermining their faith in God and his power. And I think that's a grave mistake. I think James makes it clear that it's not in either or, either faith or medicine, but rather a combination of both. However, I think there's something else, something sacramental about the oil that we should not miss. As I talked about in episode 22 on the Jewish roots of confirmation, oil was used to anoint the priests and the kings of Israel. The anointing of oil bestowed authority on a particular person to carry out the responsibilities of the office entrusted to them. The oil was sacramental in that something mysterious and supernatural transferred onto that person. I have mentioned in episode 22 that by anointing those who enter into the Christian community, God is mysteriously working through the oil to give them the Holy Spirit and empower them for Christian life and service. So by having a priest whose hands have been anointed with consecrated oil, then anoint a sick individual with oil that has been consecrated and blessed by the bishop, we see the Christian community coming together to petition God for healing. The oil is that common thread that surpasses time and space. The bishop who consecrated the oil was consecrated himself by a bishop who was consecrated by a previous bishop. And we can trace that all the way back to Peter and ultimately Jesus, the apostolic succession. So while we might interpret the oil that James talks about as modern medicine, we should not neglect the use of the priest or consecrated oil in the process of caring for the sick. There's one last thing I want to address. I spend some time with some charismatic and Pentecostal Christians. In that community, we often talked about some of the miraculous healing that is continuing to take place around the world. There are people that think that miracles like we see in the Bible don't happen today, and I think that's just because they're not looking. There's some pretty wild stories out there. But it brings up a good question. Why are people being miraculously healed even if they aren't necessarily going through the sacrament of anointing of the sick? And this brings us to a place of understanding the purpose of sacraments. As the Catholic Church understands it, the sacraments were instituted by Christ for the church to practice. Therefore, the church is bound to the sacraments. However, God has no limits. He is not bound to the sacraments. For example, the church says the only way we know how someone enters into salvation, how someone begins that process of moving towards eternal life is through baptism. That's the sacrament, the method that Jesus gave to us. However, ultimately, God can save whomever he wants by whatever means he wants. If there's a person in the Amazon who never has the opportunity to hear the gospel, it doesn't mean God won't save him. We don't know what God will do. The same is true when it comes to healing the sick. The method that the church follows is the sacrament of anointing the sick. However, this doesn't mean that God only works through the specific sacrament. It also doesn't mean that a layperson shouldn't go up to someone who is sick and lay hands on them and pray for them. We never know how God will use us, any of us, to accomplish his will. Ultimately, if you take anything away from this episode, I hope it's this. 
God wants us to be in shalom, a wholeness of our bodies and our souls. We should never neglect one for the other. And the sacrament of anointing the sick is meant to restore us and to move us wholly towards eternal life. It is a sacrament in that there are two components. There's the sacred oath whereby we request to be healed by the great physician. And secondly, there's the mystery where God works through the priest and the consecrated oil to restore us to shalom and bring us towards eternal life. Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode and other pertinent information in your email inbox. If you've been blessed by this podcast and you're feeling generous, there's also a way to financially support it. Go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe to get started. Also join me on Instagram at whycatholicpodcast, all one word. Until next time, may the shalom of the Prince of Peace fill your hearts and your minds, your bodies, and your souls. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic.